Good evening, morning, afternoon, whatever applies to you, and welcome to what will be the final world show. Well, maybe, at least, you know, the final one before games are played, I suppose, at the very least. And we had to complete the set, didn't we? For two reasons. One, because, you know, that makes sense, doesn't it? We do three episodes in a row, Miss Nymera, but also we had uh, scheduling issues, so what a happy coincidence. But I've told a lie, it's not Nymera, is it? It's actually Aizawa from Hanmabaki. Yeah, 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 okay. Whatever that is. And because of the scheduling issues, I Googled that in about <laughs> 10 seconds ago. So, you know, it's either a good one or it isn't. I just, again, did my standard long black hair male anime and he came up, didn't he? So it's got to fit somewhat. I'm not sure. Funny thing is, there are multiple people I, with that name who are like long black haired men. And I'm like, Guess, guess it's just a name. I will, I will add that legally as a middle name. That, that sounds wonderful. Thank you. you know, I'm learning so much about myself today. The thing is, obviously, technically, you have, like, dark brown hair, right? Yeah. But that's problematic for two reasons. One, because, you know, in anime, it's just always jet black, isn't it? And two, I feel like even now, when people, I don't know, like, depict me in, like, caricatures or something, I always have, like, either blonde hair or, like, very fair hair. And I just don't. But it's like that thing where if you see someone with like slightly lighter than mid brown hair or slightly darker than mid brown hair it's like their hair in your head is black or their hair in your head well, is blonde funnily enough when you're drawing manga it is effectively if you have black hair it's black if you have any other color of hair it's then like not colored in at all so you just kind of like left to kind of color in the picture yourself at that point oh yeah exactly because obviously there's a lot of uh manga that uh anime originates from we also of course have a uh, resident fake hater mr kira a new oh, title a new title for you but Somehow. more than appropriate i think uh but yeah you guys know the drill before we talk league of legends uh we do have to address my patented would you rather uh very simple one this week um which is nymera would you rather win all your domestic splits, regardless of where you're playing, Korea, LCK, whatever, and MSI, or win nothing, but you win Worlds. That's definitely not a pointed question. Um, right. Oh, I would win Worlds because I want a skin. I just want a skin. If, until they release a skin for MSI or domestic shit, fuck it. I'll win Worlds. Give me a skin. Give me an Ari skin. I'd play that. I like that answer. But, well, apart from the last bit, what an Ari skin? <laughs> Come on. I Absolutely. Mean. Faker wanted to get Ari for, like, three all of his three world skins. But Doesn't Ari have the most skins in the entire game? No. No. Ezreal? I believe that's... I think it's Annie. I think it's Annie and Ezreal are tied, thought, and Misfortune's just behind them, I'm pretty sure. I thought it was Lux. But I, oh, yeah, I'm Lux pretty sure Annie's up there, because she got the anniversary skin as alongside a couple of other things. I'm pretty... You, yeah, but... Ari could always Lux use more 19, skins. Misfortune so... 19, Ari 17. Okay, be, oh, okay, right, be right. honest, Nightmare. Have you ever imagined what your hypothetical Ari skin would look like? I have in the past. I don't know whether I have an answer. I need, I need to... <laughs> Knew it. He's got concept art on his wall around the corner, Kira. He's drawn himself as a fox. I do I need to show the shrine? Oh, here we go. Yep. So, I've got everything up here. Everything. So Nymera is essentially, as you know, the comments will no doubt double down on as well, your average Redditor, 
essentially. <laughs> so, you know, both in League of Legends appear, uh, opinions oh, and actually, in uh, as well. bedroom decor. As well. Ari Chair, by the way. No way. It's an yes, Ari Secret Chair. Life, Secret Labs Ari Chair. You know not the depths I go for this character. For, I don't know whether, I don't know when it became a thing. It just is now. I have to live with it. You have to live with it now. Oh, I know exactly when it became a thing. Troubled childhood, mate. I mean, I can't pinpoint the exact traumatic moment for you. I, you know, I can't do that oh, yeah, for okay. you. But if we had, if we had more time, wonderful. I'm sure we could get into the depths of this uh, fox lady obsession. But anyway, let's move on. Oh yeah, sorry, no, Kira, answer, answer the question, would you, if you don't mind? What would you rather? Would you rather? Have I won anything previously? Yeah, you've won one domestic title previously. So would you rather have a year where you sweep domestically in MSI? And don't win worlds, or win none of the former, but win worlds. I would just take the domestics plus MSI. Yeah, fair enough. I think actually, as much as I dislike Nymera's pick of the Ari skin, I think I, that actually you does fund your... no, but think that about tilts it, it for me though. Fund you for life. Exactly. No, that's that. Yeah. That actually you tilts it for me. You have to choose one of the really popular ones. Yeah. Like if you choose oh, the one which everyone well. buys, yeah. my Ari skin, yes, it's degenerate mm. for me. Don't get me wrong, but I am living happily ever after with that. Yeah, no, the skin that it changes, it changes. Just pick things. a Yumi yeah. or a Seraphine skin. People will buy mm. that shit up. It, like even if you hate the champion, you're getting a villain off of it. Don't you just go Revan? Like I think the skin? most bought ones are probably Lee Sin, Seraphine, Yumi, actually, because the Chinese market actually. Oh, yeah, 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 you're I'm right. Pretty, actually. I'm one pretty one... sure that yeah. Yumi and Seraphine have some of the largest selling skins. Yeah, you'd be right. Sense. Yeah, that or makes sense. Kaisa. 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 The IG yeah. Kaisa skin is incredibly well selling. I think it's one of the most. Uh, so, this is something which um, came out in the one of the right dev. It might have been at the start of the season, but they were saying that something like five of the top 10 skins of all time selling are esports skins. So you think about mm. like the really the really popular champions that were picked there, you are you are set for life. Even right. if you get like a slim percentile of it. What I would do then, if we're getting ta business tactical here, is I would go for a skin which basically looks like those fucking what the KDA skins, you know, like from the band thing, like a pop star style oh, skin. Get all yeah. the real all the weaves yeah, yeah. in, like yeah, nah, that that's got to be the play. But Zed, I'd probably go Zed though if I was picking a skin. One that'd because. Be so cool. Zed is like, I think Zed skins sell like fuck anyway. And, and Zed has some really cool skins as well. So Yeah, and then your name is associated with Zed and not a fucking would, fox. Would, so would you, you would, would, so you'd take Zed, you'd have Ari. Absolutely. Do you, know what, do you know what my one would be? Do you know what like, I'm like infamous for like playing? Like, obviously mm. you wouldn't. Like, do you know, can you imagine what I play? Blitzcrank. No, no. I, I play like two things. I'm known for Inting and Gragas and then, and then Cogmo. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Fun fact, Cogmore was the first champion I ever played, other than Ash, because back in the day, I think Ash the was tutorial the tutorial was the champion. Ash. So, yeah. I think I didn't play the tutorial, and I played an intro bots game instead. Oh, no, you, I can't remember back then if you had to play I think, you had, I think you I, had to, I think. Oh, in that case, it would have been Ash as well. It would have been the Ash, The first yeah. one I actually played was... Kale and I went one and nine versus bots because I didn't know how to control the characters. I bet you won so. though. I bet you won. I think it's actually impossible to lose against the medium bots because they refuse to, to end the game. Yeah, they just actually refuse. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I, w I was very confused about why towers were hitting me so hard. That seemed very unfair at the time. Yeah. Now I now I know better. Believe it or not. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll decide on that later in the show. I think whether Nymera has evolved at all from finding out that towers do damage. Uh, right, let's talk about before we 
preview the world's final which is of course Weibo versus T1 let's talk about the previous two series because these were a couple of bangers I think it's fair to say for maybe slightly different reasons starting uh, chronologically with Weibo versus BLG I think it's fair to say that most of us have BLG favored for sure Nymera with an outrageous shout that wasn't coerced at all uh, did pick Weibo to win. 3-2 as well, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And I can't mistaken. even remember my logic. I just remember saying it. I just remember being like, oh, Weibo just coin flip as hell. Yeah, sure, well, it'll work out. That's how top lane went, at least, it seemed to be. Yeah, so pretty much. 0-5 or 5-0. Uh, so, yeah, I'll start with uh, you on this one, then, Nymera. Like, what, what do you think changed for Weibo sort of during this Worlds versus what we saw of them in the LPL? Like, and obviously, I think Seal made this point. Um, that Weibo, or maybe actually you made this point, that Weibo weren't this like terrible team who got super lucky or no, something. Like no. they were a decent team, but the perception going in was they do not stand a chance to actually win. So what do you think changed between um, now and then, if anything? I think the understanding of how to, well, even then half the games isn't true as well. But then again, half of everything I'll say won't be true in half the bloody games because Weibo changed their face pretty much every game. Um, so region, I, I remember when it came to game five, there was a big discussion, discussion about, oh, why is the Shy playing Ornn and stuff like this? One of the big changes we saw coming in from regional to um, worlds was the Shy was absolutely awful on carries this split terrible you put them on anything which has to which um has a large amount of damage and has to kind of keep up that kind of dps number instead of being someone who is more tanky and ha would then survive the early and mid game and be harder to kill and then impact team fights later um it was very difficult for him he was doing best on stuff like on gragas Cassante, where he could absorb a lot of pressure survive a 1v2 because he's tankier not necessarily do big damage like a rumble i mean he had two rumble games this split something like that one of them he went one and eight the other one he did pretty well in um but the other one was like a one and eight versus nip of all teams it wasn't even like a top tier team um and i think a lot of the reason why that was the case why he was getting punished on carries is because he was just very disconnected from the rest of his team now that doesn't always necessarily mean that's a him thing sometimes it is where he over pushes and he's just not got support on that side of the map um, but there were some times where he was in a effectively a losing scenario, a weak side scenario, and he'd get dove continually and put him down, put it, and he'd be put further down into the dirt. So one of the big things that happened around Worlds was he's picking up more stuff like the Aatrox, which he, that wasn't really a thing regionally. I think it was Zeus that showed that in the LCK that made his way to Worlds. People started playing it. Of course, he's seen a bit more of the Rumble as well, um, and other picks like that. And he's actually looked like he's more in uh, concert with his team. So that was a big thing for me. I also think that. I think that Weiwei has found his comfort champion pool, too. Um, stuff like the Poppy has been perm-banned away from him the entire tournament. I don't see it getting through any time since then as well. Actually, that'll be a very interesting thing for finals, because both mm -hmm. teams in finals have had Poppy yep. perm-banned away from mm -hmm. them. Will that slip through? Will that just have to be a red side ban? Stuff like the Rel as well has been so effective for Weibo, um, both as jungle and, su and support in LPL regionals. Rel turned up as first pick priority um or first rotation priority on red side and you just hold on to the jungle support flex the entirety of the way through the draft um because rel was happy in, in both positions against most stuff there aren't hard counters to rel a lot of the time unless it is something like a poppy actually so i think <clears throat> between a better understanding of the draft a better understanding of how to integrate the shies carries into a larger sensor across the map and and how to support him when he's getting focus on him that's helped them an awful lot because it wasn't really the bot side that was the problem light's been super consistent he's just kind of doing the same thing as always they've just found out how to integrate top lane better into their team 
Yeah, what, what do you think, Kira? I mean, I think you had BLG going into this one, right? Like, what do you think? Mm -hmm. What I mean, what happened in this series? So, basically, BLG have, like, a format where Ben wins the lane independent of how many much resources the enemy team sends to it. And because he basically just creates his own advantage and he, like, wins 1v2 and isolated 1v1s, then he will then take his advantage and he'll plug holes in the map or like holes and problems that like BLG have in the game. However, Weibo shows like a good example what happens when Ben plays not that much worse but a little bit worse, like miss executes or like no matter how well he executes they create scenarios that are just completely losing. How does BLG to react to this information? And I actually think a lot of this was Jun. I think Jun had to really identify that Ben required like help in certain situations that there was no winning 1v2 play particularly the Aatrox into Graves game I feel like Ben was just like shafted that, that game yeah, he was left on an island he was and I feel like a lot of the approach basically in almost every single game I feel like the the, the approach that be, we, like Tabby had or the team had to like winning like the series was a bit like off and they had a bit of a, a little bit of an identity crisis. I was really surprised how often they were just like basically just letting Ben just like be consistently counterpicked and then putting like resources on people who have never been on this iteration of like BLG like like the top performers. Like for example, you had the Yagao like Syndra game, which comes in on the second rotation after afterwards and I, I was really surprised to like see it like so early and I was really surprised to even see Yagao and Syndra in game one like at all particularly when you've already seen the rumble like rumble just drops equalizer ults on Syndra's head like over and over and over again and there was just there was just so many like strange adaptations like throughout the series like I can't remember which game it was I think there's a, I can't remember, there's a certain game, one second, I'll go out have a find that, yeah, the game, a game, game three, where they play, uh, as Ons on Caitlyn, and they play, Elk on, yeah, and it's the Yagals on, uh, Kali, yeah. and, yeah, and to Xiaohu's one, and they give Weiwei the popping, game three, and it's just, I'm just kind of like, yeah, Why? Um, that was game four was the Callista Akali and it had they basically had like five ja uh, they had like oh on was on the can sorry yes I get it but it's like five dash champions into a poppy yeah so I, I don't know there, there's just some real blunders for me I don't think I, I think Ben plays like pretty well I think outside the rest of the uh, rest of the map I think June had like a really bad day in the office I don't think like your gal was great one of the really scary things about um, Xiaohu is, uh, and particularly with Yagao, is if you can't actually, like, force, like, Xiaohu into, like, losing players and he just kind of gets to, like, free coast, uh, th th this series in particular, it's not that he was, like, brilliant or, like, superlative, it's just that he wasn't, no one was punishing him for just mm. being, like, mediocre. And I don't think Xiaohu is playing, like, particularly well, but I was really surprised on how little of a focus there was on, like, forcing them. And, and this is actually both series, how little a focus there is around like ganking mid like playing to mid like at all it seems to be a part of the game that none of these four teams 
seem to think is like that like important and the midlanders are pretty static and so mm. when you create advantages it can be like really toxic syndra ori azir you, you get like even, you're just locked yeah, in lane against this oppressive champion and then just kind of sat there like, I, even, I agree I think Nico. I think one of the reasons for yeah Nico's a great example too because the key range I think a big example of that I think T1 have kind of dragged the meta this way where your mid lane can maybe influence stuff more and you can influence mid lane more with your junglers when you have less interactive side lanes we have seen really interactive top lane and bot lane matchups like come out of nowhere from quarterfinals and semifinals like the one game where you don't have an interactive top lane matchup is game five where it's like Orn versus Cassante yeah big whoop de do nothing's gonna happen there. Everything else is like pretty high damage, pretty high volatility matchups there. So I think that's actually why we've seen that kind of mid lane style where actually you're kind of locked in lane. You can't really expect your jungler to come mid because they're too busy trying to shepherd the other lanes into an advantage. What do Another you... thing is, Chris, sorry, just want to point out Chris. Chris, like, just like showed off like an example of like the it's expansive like champion pool, like, it was like, it just. Not that it's ever grown. Like Chris is, it's not that he's, he's Chris is actually quite good mechanically, but like, um, Chris is doing like the battle thing, whereas just he has like a depth of oh, he has willingness to play picks that aren't maybe as practiced in in any given team comp seems like very high. I think he plays four or five unique picks in the series. So. What did you guys make of the game five draft? Because I thought this was quite odd, um, especially from the perspective of you know. Generally speaking, in a crunch moment, game five, obviously Worlds, whatever. Def well, there's a couple of things. Usually defaulting to some form of comfort would be fairly natural in these situations, which to me didn't really happen across the board if you look at what the players are playing. But also really all-inning on what the strength of your team is meant to be, which I, I was very surprised to see Cassante picked for Bin in a game five, where to me, Bin even if he hasn't had like his most amazing series, he's always a perpetual win condition, right? If you put him in position position to be so. So I thought this was a very odd draft. The Caitlyn Lux was, and obviously Lux end, or, on, ends up getting caught, which loses him the game. Um, I mean, that's it's not really... A, play. Yeah, it's like, what can you do? Like, I, it's not... I saw some people saying it was like... Um, the, the sort of karma flash uh, pick in, in like the, the MSI like repeated again sort of scenario but it really wasn't I was just thinking what the hell is he meant to do like he's kind of level with his teammates and he just gets caught by uh, a ridiculously long range skill shot like what can he do it's just a bad to me the the pick ban from BLG in game 5 was poor um, what did you make of it Nightmare Oh, you're muted. You're muted. I am. You're right. Sorry, I had to cough, so I muted myself. It was such a poor pick and burn from BLG. It made their life it's so hard because you are you are full AD into an Orn and into a Maokai. You're outranged besides the Jace, but you you don't really get to play around the Jace at range advantage because it just every shot blast flies into an Orn. It doesn't matter. So you're playing with massively losing frontline. You have a very dangerous composition to play into where. Um, you know, I think one state phase of this game, which really exemplifies this, is somehow BLG get this miracle dragon fight, then immediately fall into a choke point, and they eat all of the ultimates from Weibo. They cannot afford to get hit by a single ultimate from Weibo, whether that's the Maokai, the Renata, or the Orn, or everything else follows up and instantly kills them. Caitlyn doesn't have the mobility to escape all of that backline access. Jace has to go melee form to try and kill someone, maybe get a Duskblade and run out, something like that. 
But as soon as there's 5v5 going front to back, which you have to assume it's going to be with this composition, you've got a Sejuani, you've got a Caitlyn Lux, you kind of have to play it um, front to back. Doing that as full AD into a team with so much front, front, um, backline access is absolute suicide. I am surprised it got as close as it did. I actually think BLG played better in that game than Weibo did, but the draft made such a big difference that it didn't matter at all. Static, triple static backline into Orn and... Renata and Maokai. <laughs> and uh, Maokai is just completely over. Plus you have like no picks that like get to Azir. Um, we can get into it, but the problem is, is as, as with the nature of like Azir and the nature of Callista, they're both really good at abusing um, Renata. So no matter which carry is left in the fight, or if one carry is caught, like you always have the ability to amp up and like uh, enchant like one of the other ones. Plus, uh, any of your like catch or engage. Chris can play very, very, very far forward and for any given situation because he can always just get sucked back in. So you can never wombo combo the support. No matter what amount of like CC lands on Chris, he can always just get like pulled out of any situation um, as long as the setup's like relatively coherent. So, you know, he gets caught with the bind on Lux, the Sejuani ult, you can't even throw it because if you throw it, he's going to get sucked up. But if you don't throw anything else into it, then he just sits there in the bind and then he just walks away. You know what I mean? So it's it, the best thing you can do is like bind them, then put trap underneath his feet and try and just take him out with all attacks. But I get, it's still just not that consistent. Um, I think it was very, very, very hard game to win generally, and it was a bit of a shocker to be honest because I never like looked at like Weibo Gaming and ever thought they were that good a draft team. Uh, half the time they are because they have really large champion pools it's just who are you going to flex around I think that they've looked better when they have like a couple of set pieces with champions that are always going to play and it allows them to kind of flex elsewhere weirdly it's actually been the Shy that's had some room to do that this tournament which I didn't expect because in summer a lot of the time he was just slamming Cassante, Renekton, Gragas um, and like he'd be okay with that but no actually they, they, they have a lot of people they can leverage on champion pools it's just Quite interesting that it's kind of been crisp and the shy to do that. Um, I would time. also say Elk on have not been executing when given winning lane situations as well as the other bot lanes in the semi-final. Uh, we'll come to it, but just as a general well, rule Even in quarterfinals, I had some worries about on um, on the Tom Kench. The Tom Kench Ash game um, against Genji, I had some big worries about. So yeah, I think sadly for them, given how good they were in spring and MSI, this duo kind of capped out a little bit, and I think we saw some of their weaknesses here. With all that said, is is there any reason why in draft you're not just trying to get counter pick for Bin, or at least something yeah. that he can like, you know? Well, I, I don't understand what the philosophy of this draft even was. I mean, Cassante's um, pretty good versus tanks, at least. I I don't. I mean, in terms of an individual lane matchup. In game five, he gets a number of solo kills versus the Shy. He has individually a pretty okay game. It's just the rest of the team needs so much from him. They need him to be a frontline to tank something with his W going unstoppable with Cassante. They need him to be dragging someone important out of the fight. They need him to be reaching the Azir as one of the few champions that can possibly reach the Azir, even though that's not very easy at all. I, I think, for me... The top lane matchup is, it's okay. Yeah, it would be nice to see his Jax, but he's realistically never going to... He, he won both of his Jax games, and he lost all of his non-Jax games. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Um, 
Yeah, the top lane matchup itself here isn't necessarily the issue. It's just the rest of the team just can't can't help him do his job, and he can't help them survive. So it's it's really difficult. Yeah, no, I'd go along with that. Uh, yeah, I, I I couldn't believe that Weibo won, to be honest, um, and not just based off like you know regionally strength wise, they didn't look as strong, um, but also during the first however many games of Worlds, I didn't think they looked particularly amazing. These were their so. first wins versus an Asian team, by the way. They, mm. they, had, they had not won versus an Asian team until game one of this series. It's absolutely yeah. incredible. Because, yeah, that was a narrative as well that I was also pushing is that they hadn't really played anyone. They got a really generous draw up until this point. So, yeah, but fair play. Uh, they obviously took that series. The second semi-final was obviously T1 versus JDG. Uh, now, before we get into the nitty-gritty on that, um, JDG had side select, I believe, and they picked mm -hmm. red side first game, and then obviously after that first game, it just went blue, 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 blue. Uh, Kira, can you hypothesize at all why JDG picked red side here? Because to me, that seems like blunder number one. No, like, they're red, like, that's it's funny because um red side is like game number one is actually on the verge of being the best draft yes. yeah. they are winning the draft until the last pick if they oh in game one is as good we can go like through them because me and Nymira, everyone that is about to listen to this section of the show me and Nymira done a full vod review of Four this hours. so if you want so if you want to like see all of our like thoughts on that i can refute you to that because i will just end up going down like a rabbit hole but for example game one like JDG uh, get like a, I think it's a really good draft until the last pick, and the last pick is so bad, it is like so criminally like terrible, and it like just fucks the full thing up. I know, like you make people think, and then when you're actually in the game itself, how they utilize this like this Alistair like pick in and of itself is like so terrible. Missing has one of the worst games probably of his, the entire year. On, on this Alistair and it's a real shame because even even um even if it's not Alistair and I think the Alistair pick isn't that great if Missing just plays better there is a version of that game that is yes. way closer and JDG might even win it still um even with like Korea hitting some of the most ridiculous amounts of bar dots that that very first game was the most like JDG experience where like they're behind all the whole time and they were on the verge of winning so many team fights by like and like and this is the, the, uh, a characteristic for the whole series, and it will start from here. So many people in GDG were making so many mechanical and positional blunders, it is unbelievable. You have, like, Ruler going through the barred portal for the fruits. There's loads of I other mean, examples that will come fight, along yeah. and uh, will come to along the way, but... To me, the the game one and the red side the, the red side pick wasn't even that bad, and also you, you got to see like three six nines. The the like logic Rumble. of the red side isn't bad. It's no, just the execution yeah. of the red side is just not. But Nymera, what what do you think? The why do you think it was that they picked red? Because even given um, that you know maybe they blundered a last pick or something, they did then just go blue every so game. This was something that we were wondering about on last episode of this, previewing this series, when I was wondering, okay, well, what are JDG going to do about bot lane champion pools? Because JDG don't play that many lane dominant lanes. They, they typically play for mid-game team fights, two items where you've got Zeri, Sivir, Kaiser, of course, we know a lot from Ruler. Um, 
so red side allows you to get last pick support as it was in this case on on um on in game one and you're sat looking at a draft where t145 Jin bard so they have spent how many bot lane bands are so there is rakan band first by t1 um jdg ban out ash and callista lane dominant 80 carries get through into the second round of bands two support bands over to missing which are nautilus renata and jdg ban out caitlin senna so I think JDG, you're looking at all the champions they're banning. They are really obnoxious laners who are very high range. They can punish you at level one, a lot of auto attacks. And it stops Carrier, who is very good at positioning with these picks to get free autos, get control of the lane very early on, and make you and just put you into a position where you can't influence the map. So the Jinbard gets locked in, and they respond with an Alistair. So they have Zaya Alistair versus Jinbard. And this just goes to shit so early. So I think the Alistair here, I'm not going to say it's an ego pick, but it's verging on it because JDG do this thing where they assume that they will survive lanes well enough that they can turn up to a mid-game teamfight and just kind of win anyway. Missing on something like an engaged tank with the Alistair can just pop ult, stand in front of, you know, an Aatrox, Rel, Orianna, Jin, and just shunt someone out of the fight to allow the Akali and the Vi and the Rumble to get some good value. That's, that's okay logic. But the problem was in this game, they used this list last pick to have a mid-game advantage, and they didn't get to the mid-game without taking significant falls in, in the early game too. They had some really hard trades at level 1, which put them behind. This allowed Carrier to get out of lane as a bard, who's one of the strongest roaming supports in the game. And then basically when it got to the mid-game teamfights, as Kira was saying, I think Missing probably did a mis-execute on a couple of the big team fights too. So the, the, the logic of the red side is use last pick to get an advantage through the support position. Um, and I think they could have got that in the mid game. They mis-executed on it. But I think after that point, you just go, oh, bloody hell, what do we do about this bot lane champion pool situation? Because that was a big misread for them and a big misplay. So, hmm. Just like a note, just to, as a general thing for the whole draft, even though I say that like the the first draft is like good from like home in terms of like the pick, the actual like pick ban order from home this entire series is like shambolic. It's just... Hmm just incoherent like madness like and this is like the problem of why i never even bother trying to predict what jdg is going to do on any specific day and i'm i, I seem very i seem very cash blanche about it all because n n like you I, you would i sorry you would need home to sit down and a bit of content and explain it to you because us in the west we it's do not, not understand yeah. we, we don't understand it like we don't have that like this like way of like thinking D game one for example they ban simultaneously the callista and the ash so that they then do not have the callista counter if then t1 takes it but then also t1 can take it and it's just mind melting it's it's just so like weird to think about it because basically if you don't ban the Ash, T1 has to make a choice. Do they either snap pick the Ori, or do they first pick Ash and then you get Ori Callista? And yeah. because you take Ori Callista, you take away one of Callista's biggest counters. Yeah. Um, and I think oh, both, but, but both teams in this series, one of the big things which I think showed up in game one, which also affected red side, probably more than the teams expected, is teams didn't want to first pick the Callista if Oriana was available, because playing Callista into Oriana is hellish. But if you don't, if you allow then the, the Orana to be first picked, you can't pick it on red side. So then you think, well, I don't want to give them the Callista because then they have a Callista who's not playing against an Ori. So if you allow the Ori and the Callista go up, blue side wins that draft 100%. So we saw JDG kind of give a Callista, um, Constellation saying, okay, we have to ban the Callista third. 
But then, of course, that brings in the question, as Kira is saying, of the Ash. So I think this interplay of Callista and Orianna, if they're on different teams, the Orianna wins. But if the Ori and the Callista are together, it's just really, really good. I think that also affected JDG on red side. I don't know whether they saw that coming. And I maybe they expected T1 to, to ban the Callista themselves. I don't know. Um, but that seemed like a big oversight of, of red side from JDG. So, Kira, what did you think was sort of the biggest reason why T1 ended up taking this series? Obviously, I think everyone oh. having watched the quarterfinals knew T1 would be a threat for sure. But JDG was still, of course, heavily favoured. Oh. What, what do you think was the main so I'll, reason? I'll, I'll, I'll go through them all because like, they have a quick one. So, like, Methang, like, meth, like, meth executed, like, key critical fights in, like, game one. Game two, they won, so we don't need to talk about it. Game three... Um, JDG like uh, just don't look, drop their guard in midsection at the Baron, and obviously a uh, Faker gets a really sick Azir playoff. But if you look at that, like at that Azir play like happening, you, there's like a lot of factors. If you look at how many people have to like drop the ball, and at the end of the day, it's like what is Ruler like standing there for? Like what is he contesting? And th so there's lots and lots of, like stuff you can like blame it on. It'll be impossible to know. Only the GDG players will know themselves. And and then in game four, Kanavi just sent it like absolutely down. Just sent it to the moon, man. Just sent it to the moon. It's like it could the game couldn't once Kanavi was playing like that in game four, the exception one. The general poorness of like GDG is almost everyone in GDG had like problems uh, holding like coherent like shapes and playing each other off of each other's like positioning and AOE. They were letting so many dragons like be taken off of the map by T1, even when they were the ones yes. winning bot lane or they were the ones winning Herald. They had even in, for example in the Belveth game, I, I pointed this out to my Mira, GDG aren't able, able to, in the middle of the game, evaluate that mid turret cannot be taken because Bard just turns off the Herald. So Kanavi places the Herald and they end up in this really scrappy mid fight where all Kanavi has to do... Top, yeah, Kanavi can just take the Herald and move the Herald advantage away from the Bard or drag the Bard to a bit of the map that Bard doesn't want to be in. And like JDG just aren't thinking about these things on the time. I aren't thinking about these things at the time. Another like big point, and it was, I've watched the series like a long time. I think Ruler does not play very well. Like he plays lanes, the lane situations out like pretty well, like to have actually a relatively high standard. And withheld a, the, a strong point and attacking point of T1 really well, but his like team fighting and the risks he was taking around midsection and his like ultimate usage and resource usage, his like summoner economy was still great, but like he had really weird Varus alts. His very team fighting wasn't as good. His cluster game was brilliant, and I'll get like give yeah, like props to him. The, best one. Yeah. the cluster game was the best one, but it was an uncharacteristic like drop in form for me. And the other thing that me and Naimira talked about is our level ones were shambolic. Oh, yeah, T1's, well, yeah, really, yeah. Really T1's level 1 preps for GDG won them almost won them two games but they automatically won them the first game. Mm. Then uh, owner doing the horizontal jungling. Um, landscape jungling. Yep, jungle, landscape jungle jungling. And it just destroys, first of all it destroys 369's uh, rumble pick in lane and it accelerates so much but it, it seems to also just destroy their confidence in picking it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things. First of all, a couple of tidbits. I spoke to a uh, professional jungler. I won't name them because if people think their opinion shit, then it wouldn't be that fair, really, would it? But he's a, a LEC jungler who um, said that Belveth in this spot is unplayable. 
He says it's a horrendous pick and Belveth can't do anything. And yeah. th though um, lots of people are getting on um, Kanavi, obviously, for I mean the series in general, but in particularly in particular that game, I am led to believe that that is just a horrendous spot for Belveth to be in, and it was a horrible pick. <laughs> they packed oh, we, we, yeah, so <laughs> we we actually went through this as well because um, this also plays into I think in in the game where the Belveth was played. I think JDG is searching for a good level one because um, this is the one game where Jarvan isn't banned. So JDG have this situation. They're on match points. They have to let something go. They choose to ban the Rel and T1 choose not to ban the Jarvan. And they've banned the Jarvan the entirety of this tournament. So they see first rotation of Jarvan Varus. They've picked the Orianna first pick and they go, right, what is our answer to Jarvan? Okay, let's pick Belveth. And I think the logic is Jarvan level 1 has standard, so he can't really fight a level 1. There's like a little bit of damage and some attack speed, but Belveth absolutely wrecks his face um, at level 1. And then they lock in this Aatrox alongside it, which I think is 369 saying, right, we don't want Zayas to have this, and we want something that could potentially interact with topside as well. And that's the big mistake for me. If that had been maybe a Renekton or something like that, which then is also a good bridge pick with... Um, the Belveth to kind of fight around Herald, fight Herald, because Renekton's so good at Herald fighting. Maybe this plan works better. But as soon as you see that Yone locked in fourth pick after they ban a load of bot lane picks instead, you go, oh, bloody hell. We, um, this Aatrox is going to, if they come down to a level one or something like that, Yone's going to get free positioning on the top wave. Aatrox already has a hard enough time in laning phase. If we ask him to come to a level one, that's effectively game over for 369. And as we saw in game, even without them going for a level one, they aborted that plan, I think, after draft. Um, Leona was still wrecking his face. And then you still ha then you have to play a game where Kanavi doesn't get to have a Belveth, which is ahead and has invaded consistently and has an individual lead, has to start the game a little bit slower. And Belveth is a very snowbally champion. So you get to a point where you're like, well... There's no engage because you have a Belveth and an Aatrox running forwards, maybe with some Lulu shields. You're running into triple range because um, you have, oh, well, like triple triple range characters, I guess, because the Bard also counts. The Azir and the Varus are really, really hard to reach. The Jarvan will just pin you in a cage as well. What do you do here? I think that effectively it is a failed counter strategy to Jarvan. And I think it really put them in the hole. Hmm. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you guys, because, I mean, you did VOD for review it after all. Do you think on the ruler, when Faker catches ruler in game three, do you think that once Faker starts shuffling, that ruler should just path towards the wall, the left-hand wall as you look at it, towards wolves, and just flash the wall? Doesn't he just... No, it's not on ruler. It's on... And that's... Okay, ruler I'm not saying it's on ruler. I'm just saying so far well, as he has autonomy. Wolves, so. <laughs> so, so the problem is, is Zeus... Okay, so this is the, the dichotomy that everyone's like hyperfocused on. Zeus is sitting in that pocket with a alt and a thingy soul. What's it called? Um, uh, a cloud soul. He is going to f fly at anything like an exorcist missile. This champion moves so fast and it is so hard to like stop, okay? And mm. that's why Knight and Kanavi are over in that pocket right now. Once Ruler is standing there, that a mistake has already been made. He should not be there, but he has now made the mistake. When he is standing there, the only person who can stop that play consistently is Kanavi. Kanavi has to stand next to Ruler because he can alt fake her out of alt the dive with the spin, to. right? And that's the only way he can stop. In Knight, 
we, we haven't got POVs, Knight can put cobbles underneath Ruler, and because uh, if Azir goes through cobbles onto Leia, it stuns him and stops the yeah. shuffle, right? But Knight's cobbles might just be on cooldown. There's like a... I'm not joking. It's like a one or two second yeah. cooldown, and even if he gets the cobbles under, there's you can do like a triangle alt that's like wider, and it, he might still dodge the cobbles mm. and get um and get ruler. So the whole thing is, and it's the additional with soldier, and, and he flashes the, you know, I mean flashes the flash. It's very 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 hard to do, and I think just saying, oh, if he flashes the left wall, he then enters like Zeus's like pocket, yeah, and. At the end of the day, like, Zeus is going, like, Canavi, like, Ruler, Canavi, Knight might be able to, like, burst down, like, Zeus, but they only, that only gets you to a very, like, like static point, because then 369 has committed his TP into the middle of, yep, yep, into the um, middle of the and the only reason 369 survives so long is because Canavi commits his ult to the ADCs in the backline, but he can't ult both yes. uh, Zeus and the ADC backline. So people are, I think, misaligning where resources can be. They can only be in, like, one place. Mm. Th th so we we spent a long time going over all the possible things that could have stopped this shuffle. And I think my conclusion is there is so much to potentially stop Faker shuffling in, which is why he didn't shuffle in the entire rest of the game, that I think JDG were fairly certain that someone would be able to stop it, but a number of things happen. So just before the shuffle happens... Knight has tried to shuffle Ona back into the team with the with the with the flick from um, from Talia. That misses the unraveled earth, the E, which stops dashes, is down. So that's one thing which can stop the dashes. Zeus is on a flank near Wolves, so Knight pulls back off after that point. His um his E is still down for a couple of seconds. It's three items, you've maxed out the ability as well, so it's gonna be up in a couple of seconds at best. Um, because as soon as the cobbles disappear, you've probably got like five-ish seconds until it comes back on cooldown. Zeus is threatening one side. Missing doesn't have ult, so he can't stun Faker in place. And then Kanavi, because he is going towards Zeus, isn't in range to flash ult or W flash ult out of it. Ruler doesn't want to stand still and cast ult because potentially he gets caught anyway at that point. So Faker literally manages to pick a point where Ruler is just far enough away from Kanavi, just far enough away from Knight while he doesn't have his E down. So Ruler has none of like four or five different disengage tools to work with. Faker also angles his ult really well, flashes already and um, angles it. So even if Ruler flashed directly away from Faker on reaction, it probably wouldn't clear the wall at that point. Yeah. Like for me, this is like a really key timing. I, there's probably a bit of a mistake between Ruler, Knight and Kanavi. Um, I think Knight and Kanavi probably ton a little too hard on Zeus, but doing this in like a three, four second window to do this, it, it probably was like one second up from, but, from Knight being able to get his E back up. It's incredibly close timing. But at the end of the day, the biggest point for me is just don't be there. Wait, let Renekton yep. take the mid... Like, you're not being pressured. Let Renekton take the bot wave. Let Take a fight where you have the Ash Arrow and you can create an unconditional engage situation. Take the best... JDG are always so good at taking the best version of fights. If you look at so many of the plays that put GDG in the hole or lose them the game, the majority of the time the answer would have been they would have been better off doing nothing. Like yeah. the Belvev that turret dive at the tier two that gets Kanavi killed that gives away the Baron. Like he would have been better off not being there. Or the Wukong play where Ruler gets killed by Zeus on mid lane and then Kanavi ults Zeus yeah. in mid lane and dives and gives away a free baron. Kanavi would be better off just not pressing buttons and just like recalling or just like standing still. It is this uh, insatiable need to constantly find like action or like to be doing something that was kept on putting GDG into a deeper and deeper and deeper hole. Um, 
it was it was a very very uncharacteristic. Basically, for on for four or four members of the series, in my opinion, they all had very like uncharacteristic like yeah. series. So um, th this is what I wanted to ask you though, as well, Kira, because obviously you've watched them play a lot, um, but you probably haven't watched them play as in depth on review most of the time that obviously you guys went and for did a full pod review. So uh -huh. I wanted to ask you if do you think that JDG were super below par or do you think that T1's level also kind of put them in that position? Because obviously the perception of JDG from a more mm. casual perspective is these guys, even if they're not playing like the smoothest macro, they're also individually talented and blah, blah, blah. And that's how like they win out game. Like, do you think that really they did drop off a cliff or do you think that actually T1 kind of exposed stuff they're they nice. maybe already so, were not super hot so at? We, I, I can go like, for example, okay, 369 is like, like for me, like, 369s, um, where people like talk about him, but like, oh, he's able to like just like win like isolated like matchups and stuff like that. And, and for me, like, majority of the time, like, the, the best player that like 369 in brackets was like beating was Ben, but he wasn't really beating them. Like, loads of those series were going to like five games or like yeah. three ones, and Ben was doing like really well in those series. They were kind of like sacrificing like 369 and then being like, he'd be on a pick that would still be able to be effective, right? But that's not really where we're kind of like we're, we're not really at the same like place um as that in this series i i when I, in my review with like nightmare i talked about i actually think outside of the very last game canavi had like lots of positive games he His saved early game, games were actually better than others yeah, on the whole he, game, he game saved two game was two. entirely on game Kinabi. yeah yeah he entirely, sa yeah. utterly saves like he utterly saves game two um i think jdg played worse there they played worse than i've seen them uh, I think, like, holistically, like, homes, like, drafts, like, they're never, I've never thought they were ever good, that's why I've always just said, you just fucking, home just does whatever the fuck he wants, and you just pray that it kind of, like, works on the day, um, and it, like, you kind of, when it wins everything, you kind of have to just go, good job, home, hmm. congrats, I was really surprised, they played four games, not a single game did they try and do, like, a mid-pinch, and just let yes. a lot, a bunch of the power picks through, like, ban three mids, take a fourth away and be like, yeah, both sidelines are going to get power picks. By the way, like, GDG are also still going to get access to, like, power picks. Like, you can't, like, take them all. There's a lot of, like, good stuff. And then see if, like, how deep can Faker... Like, just one game, see, like, how deep can Faker go and put them in, like, a matchup with, like, Knight. Because right now, Faker's played three champs. Silas. Yes. Silas, um, Oriana, and Azir. And it's like, okay, let's just say, like, you know what I mean? We're going to, like leave all of them up and then pick what them away. It's like, let's see what you're going to play like Faker. Like, do you play a Silas game without like good ults? Do, does does Faker do that? Like, I'd be really interested to see. And I was so surprised we didn't even get one like game of that. The other like big thing I would say on the whole was JD, like just looking at this game, JDG's like timings on like objectives was terrible the worst it's ever been the amount of like drakes they let slip away the amount of like heralds that they like lost even when they had like advantages uh, was really concerning i don't think and i, I was even positive uh to t1 uh rich okay where i, I literally I, I said this i don't think jdg were the best version of jdg today but I think there's a version of T1's bot lane where Ruler and Missing don't play as well bot lane and lane, and T1's bot lane just smoke them every single game. The, Ruler and Missing played much, much better in those bot lane situations than I think they were ever going to, and they got they got they got away with like a lot of. These were, 
also maybe some of the best team fights that Tier One have pulled off too. I think that's one of the really yeah. surprising things. I thought that JDG, yeah, there were there were some big team fighting errors from my perspective, and you know I've watched them the entirety of the damn year. Um, there were some big uncharacteristic mistakes from surprisingly ruler actually ruler i think in game four the zeri lulu game um i was really waiting for him with an early double kill getting up to three kills as well three and oh to really pop off and tutor out him zeri and he just could never find the window he could never find the pocket and this is the best player of zeri of all time in a draft where zeri lulu can actually do some damage and there was there was a particular herald fight where i think t1 made his life very difficult but ruler didn't make his life particularly easy anyway i think that he really struggled to have the team fight impact that he wanted to um and i think that there were a number of moments that almost every member of jdg where you're sat there thinking hang on this isn't something that we'd normally see from them kanavi some of the team fighting in game four um 369's laning phase was okay but his team fight impact besides the cassante really struggled um and then yeah obviously missing in game one um, I, I know we had a bit of we had a bit of a discussion after the series ended. The one person I look at on JDG and say, well, given your situation, what else can you do? Was actually Knight. I actually think Knight on a lot of his picks. I don't actually understand what he can do. Um, maybe it's a draft thing. Part of it's the the side lanes losing so hard as well. JDG across the board just found themselves really lacking inspiration um, and lacking some of those clutch moments which they know the players could have um, pulled out before. Because uh, obviously, for people who don't know, we talked about this uh, series a little bit beforehand, and then obviously you guys went off and VOD reviewed it. Kira, yeah. did you did anything change after you uh, went through the VODs? Like, particularly, obviously, we discussed like the Faker Knight thing, and that I felt that Faker had a very good series, and that Knight wasn't particularly impactful. Did your when you went through all the fights again? Did anything sort of change for you? Right, well, my opinion of Nate actually just got better. Every time I watched the series, my opinion of Nate got better. I was just like, holy shit, he's, an, he's actually been elo held by his super team. I'm not, genuinely not going to lie, like, he, he played he played pretty good. Like, he lost that Talia game, and mm. there, but there's a version of the Talia game where we're talking about Nate saving the game at Baron because he hits a two-man... Um, onto the bot lane, yeah. Two-man Talia thing onto the bot lane. But because his play happens much earlier in the game and he's got less AP, he doesn't one-shot them. But it's like, you know what I mean, it was still sick and it starts the route at Baron that like keeps JDG in the game after Kanavi like sprints it. Like categorically sprints it down like just gives up Baron for free. Um and, and it's not to say that he didn't he didn't play perfect. It's just what would you, what are the expectations on like execution? I think it's um, more it's more of a problem with the space that he was in. It's like what can you expect a player to do in a game where you know, you're a you're in a you're like the Akali in game one where your side lanes are losing super hard and you can't impact the map the map early. In game four where you have unplayable side lanes, so you have to go into a side lane against the Yone and the Bard. Um, it felt like there were an awful lot of those situations where Knight actually, given the situation, he played it out well. It's just he was never in a situation to do significant carrying. But it's like what what like either change the pack so he has like more agency. Or like he can like increase the percentage of damage that he's like responsible in like team fights, or like you the, you accept the result as uh, you accept the result as it is, and you're like happy with like the the fact that like you, you the picks you chose required your teammates to play to like a better standard, and that's like that's where it is. And again, like these these things happen. I was like sad I didn't get to see like a Syndra game or anything. I think that like across like across the average. That would have been like across all the all the games. Sorry, that would have been like fun to see. Um, he like he does he has like some like really like impressive moments like the game two where he like he's chunked at the level one and still like plays the lane out against the the Azir. The only thing that I would say is when I rewatched the series, my opinion of Ruler like went down. 
man, my opinion of Canavi went up, where I thought like Canavi didn't play well across the whole series, where it was actually mainly just game four, and they played the other three games uh, pretty well. Like, he has, like in game two, he has like a really sick play onto a uh, flash play onto Azir to like seal the game with the flash. So that will be uh, that was it really. Um, I think like T six nine kind of got dogged on for his rumble. Um, a little bit much where he was still pretty impactful in like team fights with his uh, placement of his ultimates and stuff and he basically because of how uh, snowballer the lane can be uh, because owner gets early gank onto Zeus and then Zeus presses the advantage I'm not really sure there was that much 369 could have done to like evade that, that, that situation uh, but yeah like it was a good it was a really good series I was really impressed with T1's bot lane I thought that was the best piece by far they where they were fa- absolutely like fantastic Korea, uh, champion pool and his bard and how they uh, that team understands to use bard is like a treat to see. Um, he has like some weird moments of Renata and Ash without usage, but overall yeah. he was still very good. And Gumas, we we made the joke that um, between missing hitting all of his alts and carrier positioning really well, but missing all of his alts together they make one perfect Ash player. <laughs> And it's just like Kerry couldn't hit his ash ults. <laughs> and Guma had a mechanics masterclass. Like Guma, the amount of ults, like shockwaves, that uh, Guma like flash the Zeri versus Aatrox play where he dodges like four mm. a- Zeri autos, and whilst the Aatrox is trying to like hit him with Qs and he kills both of them, Guma has like a absolutely fantastic series. So I was really really like happy to watch it. Uh, it was a really good, great series. One of my favorite favorites of the year. Do you think, in hindsight, Nightmare, that... Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, there's this conspiracy theory going on that um, the meta shifted for Worlds so that T1 could, you know, win. <laughs> because obviously there's been a lot of talk about Curious Champ Paul and how the support yeah. meta has sort of shifted during the tournament or whatever. Do you feel like, with hindsight now, that this actually was an upset or do you feel like if these teams played each other 10 times that actually probably t1 in this spot in the meta is actually a superior team to jdg so i mean i predicted the t1 victory after the quarterfinals i wouldn't have done so before the quarterfinals but they really played well versus lng and we saw a lot of those successes be replicated here against jdg um i think particularly bot lane and top lane champion pools have been instrumental for t1 so and I think that JDG had issues with those champion pools. They had issues with the top lane champion pools. Um, you know, they still couldn't play that Rumble topside. They didn't know how to deal with the Yone in game four. Zeus on the whole, besides the Cassante game, which was um, a game where he would decided to go for the Lethality Aatrox just to say, oh, screw it, I'll just try and hit the back line. It didn't really manage to. Um, they didn't have an answer towards top lane to JDG, and, and they couldn't do anything towards uh, how Zeus was playing at that point. Bot lane... I wonder if they could have drafted a little bit differently towards there, particularly in game four. I think the Zeri Lulu didn't didn't help the rest of the team very much, and they didn't execute on it well. It's it's a weird situation there. I think the big thing with JDG, which I would like to see if they attempted the series again, is just get Knight on something which can impact the game earlier. Um, I think it's a huge difference when JDG are playing something. I mean, I, I would love to see uh, Silas or Ari, something like that, somewhere he can get level six and immediately impact the game, even earlier than that. Um try and get something like a Syndra. I think that's the big missing point because arguably, and I didn't expect to think this on watching it back, arguably Knight was JDG's best performing player, but he was in the position where that performance mattered the least in a lot of ways. Um, Mid lane was not really impactful for the reasons we mentioned a little bit earlier. It feels like with the volatile top and bot lanes, 
and JDG looking for kind of like a more solid mid lane instead. I don't think, I, I given the way that they were playing, T1 takes this series consistently, actually. Um, unless they change something around mid lane, I, I don't know what happens there because it's, it's just very difficult. There was a lot of givens, uh, a lot of things that we take for granted from JDG that didn't apply to the series. Ruler was not 1v9ing spots where he had teamfight impact. I think the Zeri game, there were a couple of moments where I would expect him around the Herald fight and actually the tier two dive as well. There's a chance he goes forwards. Um, onto, onto the pick onto Gumiushi. Instead, Kanavi gets picked and then T1 take Baron and the game's kind of over at that point. That didn't happen. Knight didn't have an impactful champion, champion picks in this series either, whether by his choice or Homs or whatever. Um, yeah, I think looking back to this series, looking about how it goes on paper there, yeah, T1 would take this take this consistently. It's just the way that JDG approached it was was wrong, I think. Did just you, to give uh... you like an, 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 like an idea how crazy like JDG like were doing, Knight goes into side, this is game four, okay? So, and the game's still in like a position where it's remotely playable. Knight goes into side, pushes wave, catches, and then drops the wave, seeing Zeus on it, okay? So he oh, knows yeah, that Zeus can't yeah. follow him, right? He then goes into River and insta looks for someone and insta-kills Korea. Okay, just insta-kills them, right? So now it's 4v5 and they know Zeus is on the wave, okay? Because he's, he's now actually physically on it, okay? And they then go mid to the tier 2. At this tier 2 play, Kanavi is going to, like, turret dive and some players are going forward, other tier players are going back on GDG, they're not succinct, and Kanavi dies and that, like, results into a straight-on, like, Baron and the... You know what I mean? The the once they get the Baron, the game just starts ending. Korea ult starts using Bard ult's top, yeah, and the, the game pick is over. at twenty minutes. That's a perfect pick onto the support as Baron spawns to give yourself vision so, control across the map. So Knight literally on Dot finds like the proactive like like move for his like team to find them the winning situation to put them ahead like in the game, and his teammates just completely fumble the ball, like nothing to do with like what Knight's done, and now the situation is a losing one because Kanavi kills himself. And they just walk, they walk into Baron and they just start losing the game. So that that was basically like that is just a dichotomy of like the whole like the whole series. Um, it's unfortunate. GDG were such a fun team to watch, but equally like frustrating because I feel really feel like loads and they had basically positive affirmation of like bad habits at times. Um, why then we were such a deadly Bo five because across the average they would maybe find fights that were like 60-40s, but eventually they would like win enough of them that they would just like turn series around on their head. Remember, the MSI series against T1 was super, super close. Last yeah. time it was all five mm. games. Like people, I think, just of memory hold that one. Um, yeah, it was a great so, series. One, yeah, it was a great I think series. that's probably my favourite series of the year, actually. The yeah, I think that was both teams at like the peak of their powers and like their best, like that was at them both at their best forms. And even that series could have went either way. Yeah. Like T1 could have won, won on that day. It literally, it's a faker Nautilus hook. Mm made yeah. the difference that day so oh i actually think that was an okay hook actually i think i mentioned the last time on here he's trying to hook people onto an Aphelios turret even then micro stuff it's like yeah it no, that's what i'm really saying really if, he, if it does land that yeah. wins on the no. game it's a sick it, that's what i'm saying we'd all be talking about no. the legendary nautilus hook from faker <laughs> into the you know what i mean so like because like say today like faker like tried to do that azir play right and he gets insta killed by like kanave it wouldn't yeah. like undermine the attempt of the play like you would you know what i mean it would visualize it it's because it lands it's so sick and that's what makes faker such an exciting exciting player they as well to just like snap the game and try yeah. and win it on our dime um i know we haven't talked about faker much as well that play was excellent the biggest thing that faker did that series is just be really hard to exploit he just 
managed to just keep himself safe in mid lane. I think there were a couple of times, I think game one particularly, there was a chance that the Akali gets a lot of um, a lot of value um, through mid lane. But Faker knows that he has volatile side lanes, makes sure he draws occasional pressure from Kanavi when it's appropriate and stays active in the team fights. I think he was also did a, did a really good job of staying on the same page with the other initiating players of T1. Yeah. I think Faker, Owner, Zers, and Carrier always had threat onto Ruler so he could never have himself a clean team fight, which is something which a lot of teams have struggled to do. I think game four, Herald fights are around, you know, like eight minutes or whatever it is. I'm trying to remember if it's second Herald, actually. Yeah, it would have been maybe second Herald. Um, it's a great team fight from T1. And I think Faker's a big part of this too, where effectively one of them has to hold on to ult so Ruler can't pop off. And they just do that really well. Um, and again, that kind of coordination we saw from T1, we sadly didn't see it from JDG to that same level. It felt like for the first time this year, or one of the first times, they weren't adapting mid-team fight well to skill usage and mispositioning, whereas T1 were just very much on the same page. And I think that was a huge difference here. I did not expect T1 to be more coherent and better team fighters than, than JDG today. Or on that day. Yeah. No, I'd agree with that. Um, before we talk about the final itself, uh, I wanted to bring up this talking point because I find this, you know, as a fan, I think we can uh, all empathize with how frustrating it is to hear these kinds of noises coming out that supposedly whichever team had lost this and maybe even if they'd won this that you know these teams most likely aren't going to stay together there's obviously been a lot mm. of talk throughout the year that t1 will just not be the same vibe players when they come back next year regardless and that jdg now the talk is that jdg will probably make changes does this make I'll start with you, Kira. Does this make any sense to you on, on any level? Let's start with JDG. I mean, from your perspective, it sounds like the biggest problem is probably this, the coach. Do you think it would be really frustrating no. if this five broke up? It, it, it's not so much... Because Holmes announced he was retiring for a period. Yeah, yeah. Um, Taking a year break. He had a kid last... He, he had a kid. He wanted to take a break. He couldn't, so he's doing it this year instead. So, the whole thing is... I, I don't know if you do replace Holmes. Because it's not binary. Home seems to me... For like a variety of other reasons, to be like an amazing coach, um, he he might have like weaknesses, you know what I mean? That like are other problems, or uh, it's the same way as like Reaper done that bit of content where he explained like his philosophy on draft, and you're able to see it. Maybe Holm does have a coherent like philosophy on draft, and he thinks about things like different. It's just we do not get explanations of that because it's just not within our like yeah. content sphere. I think it's a real shame uh, that JDG. Um, are going to be like splitting up because I always thought that this team, the real like I think this team like has underperformed. I think this team should have won everything. Um, but it was, the, the big question for me about this team was what this team could do on like a multi-year level. Now the contracts were never going to be that. Um, and this team was like super expensive. And also, if you know like how the salary cap system in like China works and its possible like implications, it might not actually be that possible for the team to. Uh, continue depending on what like sources you believe or uh, don't believe. Uh, Korea's the T1 lineup like getting blown up. I think that's a tragedy, travesty mm. as well. I think this T1 team has like basically defined like an era of like League of Legends in terms of they they have been like a consistent like final boss. It's been like they've been like under the surface, constantly there. Like all roads ready. go through Faker. All roads yeah. go through Faker and. What's really really sad is, is like I, like now Faker has become the leader of like these like brilliant mechanical like younger like people and obviously you're talking about Rich how you see a new dimension to like Faker's like play. I wish it would actually just like continue. I'm not someone mm. that wanted 
that wanted like the T1 lineup ever to really like blow up. I always wanted to to just like continue because I think it's a really some really interesting lineup. The only thing I would think was is just to have someone else there to like counterpoint like fakers like uh uh philosophy no, philosophy to like how much they play for like early game because I look at this team this team could play so many different styles yep. and they tend to not they don't shoehorn themselves but they tend to very be very specialised in one which is fine because they're amazing at it but I feel like this team could be one of like the best teams ever they're all like very very young obviously Korea's got its own salary I mean, cap coming in if they won all the finals they were in they probably would be the best team ever actually that's a conversation you know when they went into MSI They've lost a lot year. of game fives. They have, yeah. yeah. But yeah. you know, if they win, if they win even just like one of those game fives, and they make the finals and the rest of them, and then they win this one too or whatever, like they would be up there. Um, problem is, they just, haven't managed to see it. For... they haven't just haven't managed to get it done at the end of it. I think it's a tragedy there that both these teams aren't going to be playing together. Like it really is. I hope Guma yeah. and Korea get to stick together. Um... I, I think the only person who's really like under big threat is Owner on T1. I think that of the That's games where T1 look really crap, most of the time it's when owner has a lot of responsibility on him to be like a focal point in the team composition typically that's maokai maokai has to call a lot of the shots has to orchestrate the team fights in a way with his ultimate we saw that even in the series versus jdg his maokai game wasn't great um his rel games are great his poppy this tournament's been awesome too where he just has to be a little gremlin in the enemy jungle just annoy the enemy jungler he's pretty good at that actually and i think when the pressure is off of owner he plays really really well on those on those kind of picks so you might see Ona leaving from that lineup. I think every single other person on T1, they should try and keep with all of their mites. I think the problem with this then is, so in the LPL this year, we had a huge offseason coming into this year of LPL where a lot of franchise players left their teams, huge roster shakeups. The teams which did the best, and this includes JDG, kept an existing jungle support together because that's your macro backbone of an entire team. Um, you can't be a good team without a good jungle support synergy. I think that's why Kanavi Missing ended up doing so well together. We had the same with heck. Who else had that? Um, obviously, EDG kept the same with them. JJ and uh, and uh, Mako. A number of other teams tried this as well. If you're gonna get rid of owner on T1 using this philosophy of saying, well, you have to build up a jungle support synergy again, just getting in a good individual jungler, quote unquote, because I think junglers are too are very tied to their team, is quite high risk. So I don't know how much volatility they're gonna add into the performance level of this roster if they're gonna replace re replace such a crucial part because though. Owner does kind of eat a lot of the a lot of the flack for this team. It could go to hell if they add in someone who's a bad fit for 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 carrier if he stays as well. Might might end up on BLG by the way because BLG offered Knight like a shit ton of money in the past and he chose you not to play for it. Would they really replace all of the Pingxian mid laners with 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 the other one? I mean, if you put <laughs> BLG, so if you take BLG, and you stick Knight <laughs> on it. That, that team set. Again, but but like wait, I... hang on, they, wait, wait, so Knight would have replaced Yagao on his two previous teams. Yeah, and look what happened. and then BLG. Yeah, and then look what the result of that, like, replacement is. You make <laughs> arguably one of the best teams of all time. Like, yeah, I'll do it every <laughs> time. Jesus Christ, that's sad. Yagao, no, Yagao's, you know what I mean, he can be great somewhere else, but he's not Knight. I, I, I think the whole thing is, I was like, Owner can be Yagao, Herald of Knights, the mm. one that comes before. No, but like, it's serious. Like, put it this way: the the weird, the problem is, is Knight is like Chove, where he's like a power player within his mm. own region. Any team that Knight goes on to, 
becomes almost instantly one of the best teams in the region. Like, unless you literally put him on, like, up or something, he was still, he can make almost any of the teams in the region, like, one of the best, and so he's, like, a domestic, like, power piece, like, mover. Jovi's, like, the same. Jovi makes any team that, like, he moves on to. I'm sure Faker would be as well. You could get Faker a variety of, like, different, like, groups of players. Oh, especially after we saw his kind of, like, sub out and in this year. I think you can see how much he influences just yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, like, the, he, he, the, loads of these players, like, could make, like, a variety of different teams, like, better for any different re reasons. Like, that's going to sound crazy, but, for example, take um, uh, down one game and you take Showmaker out and put Faker in. I'm not, uh, that team could look very, very different, but, like, it could be maybe better or, or possibly, like, a different style of team. Um... I think it's just really sad that, like, we're not going to get to see them play against each other because I feel like these two should be... And, and I'm not even someone that, like, I talk about there not being a lower bracket, but I just wish there was more yeah. tournaments where these two yes. teams, like, battle out each other because I would just want to see them in more metas, more periods, because mm. I feel like there is, like, a, not so much a rivalry, but there is, like, yeah. a real, like, well, like, when these two teams play, like, I'm glued to my seat and I'm like, oh, that's, that's well, going to yeah, be sick. Imagine, imagine, you know, last year when we had, or even, like, this year, right? I mean, last year when we had, like, the T1 early game dominance, heavy favorites heading to msi but that meta was nerfed in time for msi then this year we had the double ad carry bot lane with the ad carry support like t1 have been nerfed out of their meta before international tournaments before and this has happened to other teams absolutely you know i think of rocks tigers in the past they were a team where they perfected a certain style and they had stuff like the scion mid lane and the Orn mid lane chovy another similar person who kind of did well in those metas imagine if we had like a mid i mean it's hard to schedule right but if you did have tournaments in the peak of those metas in the split I think you might even see higher in higher levels of play than you would do at the end of the split once the meta's been calmed down for the well changed for the international event to a certain extent. You need to have stakes for international tournaments, which is the problem. Um, but for me, I just say screw it. Just have a seeding implication. Say, oh, you know, if you win these tournaments, you get you know you you get another pool two seed or something like that. Your your third seed moves up to pool two or some, something like that. Um, a tournament uh, like that I... would add enough stakes to it and then also be able to give you more international competition in my eyes. Anyway. That's what I'm saying. And people always go, it's like, oh, it's because they only play like so few times, right? That like it makes it like more interesting. As like you're an idiot. Like <laughs> I genuinely could watch like the good teams like play each other like more often. Like that is like the best version of like League of Legends. That's that's what I want to see is these two teams like executing it because I feel like there's a version of GDG that could play tomorrow against T1 and it's not that they would win the series but you would get even more epic like I was saying this to Nymeria um basically like G like GDG would have a setup T1 would have like a solution to that setup they would approach it in a certain way and because GDG's like poor fundamentals of who could support who and all that they wouldn't be able to like produce answers to what like T1 was like throwing at them whereas like I've seen versions of GDG where they can go like three or four or five like deep you know like someone flashes in to save someone else and those those types of like uh, synergies weren't there today uh for GDG but they really were like there for T1, they played like very very well. I think there's a version of like T1 and GDG where they bring out more out of each other. Like I mean that this like semi final could have been like better in like a way. Uh but yeah, it was really good. I want to see Bin on JDG, and then run that back. Those four Oof. plus Bin, just stack it, just stack. I the wonder carries. how their team fights go because th I I re I would be interested to see that because it gives them another strength to their bow. 
But I, 369 on his day is so important to how ruler functions and knight functions. Yeah, I mean, the balance would be horrendous. The balance would be horrendous, but it would oh, be, but it could be so, so good. good. No, there's, so no such good. Thing. there's no such thing as balance, mate. There's just good players. There's well, no, mate, I'm well, I'm well tapped in. Just good balance. I'm just well good tapped players. in to the LEC offseason, so I can confirm there is no such thing as building a balanced roster. So there you go. Uh, has there ever any you actually? I Mate, it's a, general it, managing an EU and build, roster building is always this really year might be the worst. Moves. It might be the worst. Really? It is so bad. What, it's, that you know, uh, you know, roster you know what the worst just been announced name you know that's not good. <laughs> you know what's what you know the worst thing is. It's like obviously Reddit community whatever they see the end result and the end result is usually not great either. But they'll be like. They'll hypothesize in their head like, oh, well, they probably couldn't get this guy. Or maybe the org will even come out and say, you know, well, we tried to put, you know, different variations together and we end up with this. We think it's a good mix. Whatever. But they would have even worse nightmares if they knew what these teams fucking first options were. Like, my mind has melted this offseason with the philosophy of how... They I mean, there's just no... There's no team building. They are signing random players it's like a 10 year old playing football mm. manager and they sign seven strikers and they're like these are all my favorite players aren't they great there's just zero consideration even for language spoiler alert like there's just it's insane like it's the worst ever probably anyway we're not going to talk about eu because this is a world show so let's talk about drum roll blah, 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 the world final which is of course team cadrell aka weibo versus t1 um I, I'm assuming there are no perfect pickums still in existence. Because... There weren't any. There weren't before semi-finals, I think. Yeah, that, yeah. That does not it's way off. Does not surprise me because this, I don't think anyone would have uh, predicted ahead of time. Maybe the most staunch T1 fans could have had T1 make it run to the final, sure. But meeting Weibo, I mean, Jesus Christ. So. Yeah, I mean, where where do we where do we start with this one? I guess the obvious question to ask, given the strength that T1 has shown, is Nymera can Weibo win this series? What sort of a shot do do you give them, and how how do they counter this T1 who seem to have completely sussed the meta? There is no game which Weibo can't theoretically win, but there's also a great many games where they do lose a lot. Um, this team is consistently inconsistent. They have been the entirety of the year. The question is, can a peak, perfectly performing Weibo outperform a T1? There is only one route where I see this happening, and that's if Weiwei gets his comfort champion pool and Ona has a nightmare series, um, which is actually within the realms of possibility. If Weiwei gets to have Poppy a lot, Oh my god, Rao. I can't believe what I'm hearing. There it's is, actually there is, there is, there, grand final. It's it, it, G2 versus Fnatic, Rich. It's actually G2 versus Fnatic. There is, oh there my is, god. There is, there is genuinely a way where, yeah, Weiwei, as the one player on this roster that has never been to Worlds before, has monster early games and Weibo snowball through early games while T1 double down on poor plays through owner. That's the one way I see this happening. I think that bot lane is likely going to run into champion pool issues, even though Crisp has a lot of intricate supports. I just think Kerry and Green are so far ahead of the bot lane meta right now. I'm interested to see what happens in top lane. Maybe we see a blind pick Aatrox punished, um, which is why potentially red side in this series might be more important than we even saw in JDG T1. Because I think as opposed to JDG T1, um, I think that mid lane meta is probably not going to break the series. Um, so the first pick Orianna for Xiaohu or something like that, 
I don't think that's going to be a huge thing. Shao, who actually plays Azir, as opposed to um, Knight, who basically, basically didn't at uh, Worlds, or, or this year even. He's played very few games of it um, in his career. So I think there's going to be some different points in draft. I would imagine Faker does have a game or two where he has to play something outside of the three champions he, he hasn't already. But I don't think that Shao is going to be like the game breaker unless he's on something like Nico. I think Nico is just a game breaking mid lane pick because of course it's Shao versus Faker in an international finals again. We've had this at MSI. Um, they've now faced each other at every stage of the world yeah, championships yeah. in groups, quarters, semis, and finals now. Shao and Faker have had this like awesome rivalry over time actually in, in regards to that. So that's something to watch. For me, I think red side, if you can give counter pick for top lane, I, I don't think the Shire is going to have a good time. Um, I think if Shire, I think if the Shire has to blind pick versus Zayas, it's going to be pretty bad. Um, unless you're going to bet on the fact that Zayas is going to be ill for finals again, like he yeah. was um, like last year in the finals, which I don't think is a, I don't think a, I don't <laughs> think a betting person would bet for that one. But there is a chance that maybe Weiwei slaughters early game jungle because Ona has sometimes fallen apart in that. Heck, even versus JDG with the, the Marco game, game two, he gets outplayed around the red buff, loses the smite, loses a double kill bot to Kanavi as well, and then suddenly the game's very, very even. Weiwei might be able to do that if T1 disrespect Weiwei and give him too many of his good picks. That's the only thing I can think of right now, though. Yeah, I would tend to agree with the jungle angle being the most likely. Um, again, considering how... Faker has played sort of within his own ability in the last two series against, to be honest, two mid laners who up until those points had been performing better than Jiaohu, I think it was fair to say. I don't think Jiaohu's yeah. had like the most He's, amazing It's his world. worst international oh, performance. Oh, it's not been that good yeah. though. It's, 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 it's Xiaohu's, it, this is Xiaohu's worst international performance to date, probably. Maybe you can say, season, was it season six where they lost in quarterfinals to SKT? That wasn't like a great series um, year from him. But like, Considering that this is his first Worlds Finals ever, it would be really funny at his worst international performance if he did win and then had like finally had the Worlds trophy to put in his trophy case. That would that would be very funny on one angle, but like he's not been performing that well this tournament. So. Yeah, I'm I'm struggling so far based on what we've seen to think that that will be the winning uh, play for, for them. I think that Faker will probably just go even at worst as he has been doing most of the tournament and be Faker in team fights. Um, and, you know, I, I think Zhao I'm not predicting Zhao who's a choke or something like that. I think it'll be Zhao Hu. I just don't think the dynamic and in, in what teams are playing towards right now, it doesn't really matter, even if he edges that lineup. So, yeah, I do agree. This looks kind of like a jungle angle because I think top... I mean, you can make a case that Zeus has been as good as been uh, during this tournament. I think Zeus has been unreal. Um, yep. And yeah, I think... I think the owner actually, even when he's not played like at his best, has covered top fairly well uh, for most of the tournament. Um, so I don't think we're going to see Zeus getting caught in the, some of the 2v1s that Bin found himself in in the previous series. I actually think he'll have a bit more protection from owner, assuming that owner is not, you know, a uh, bad owner, let's say. We'll see what the draft um, looks like. If it's a volatile top lane matchup, they might be able to hard force because Zeus has been playing volatile top matchups. So we'll, like, it, it might happen because actually Weiwei's been doing better at fly, flying towards top lane than he was regionally. So Yeah, no, they've been play I think they've been playing well around top, uh, mm -hmm. Weibo, but I also <clears throat> feel that um, Zeus and Ona have been doing completely fine and I trust that combo more, mm. I suppose, uh, generally speaking. Then, as you said, the big discrepancy is obviously in the bot lane where you just have to think, considering what the meta is looking like currently for support, it's very difficult to imagine them winning any lanes, realistically, unless they have a huge amount of jungle pressure from Weiwei, which then leaves Zeus isolated 
with the shy, which is not really what you want. Um, so yeah, it, it is a it is a difficult one, and you do kind of lean in, I think, to the T1 have to play bad in some respects rather than Way uh, Weibo have to play really well or Max. Oh, T1 have to. Yeah, which you is don't have to play shockingly. Yeah, which is not yeah. an area you like to be in. But yeah, talk talk to me about this one then, Kira. How how, how do you? They see get it? to they get to drop the Nico and Rakam permaban. Yeah, true. true. Well, yeah, Nico true. It's never... not missing. It's not missing. Yeah, like yeah. I'm I'm just saying they literally banned permaban Nico and Rakan because like they just don't want to play against knights, Nico and they uh, GDG were potentially going to flex Nico to like bot lane. If you look at like solo queue and stuff like that, and then they banned Rakan because like it's just GDG are just so good at abusing and using that champion in, in games. Okay, that seems to be the way T1 like viewed it. They're gonna get to drop potentially both those bans and ban another like two things. So like you could perma ban Poppy the whole series from like way way and just n never give him it, never even consider like giving giving him it. They could perma ban like and like anything basically like they could get rid of like lights of Felios if they want like they could do they, they've got so much space to do whatever they wish in the pick and ban now because they, I don't feel like there's that many stuff outside the poppy that you must ban versus like wearable gaming um the only well, thing I actually I say, sorry just to interject I actually think that you'll be more likely to see the Nico stay banned than the poppy because... Baker can first pick it on the other side but I don't. Okay, I, I don't think. First of all, I don't think Faker's Nico is that great. To be honest, um, I don't think he's shown like a particularly high level compared to the other elite mids with that. Neither champion. Xiaohu. I think Xiaohu. Uh, yeah, I, I think Xiaohu's Nico missed. I mean, like com compared had a whole to game, but it had one people. Yeah, com compared to Scout and Knight, these two are probably not going to be like your game defining Nico players. I think that Nico. Now, the problem is Faker and Xiao, who both, because this applies to the last time that they're in the MSI finals, which was last year, um, MSI, they were huge engaged mid laners. They're probably the two greatest engaging mid lane players of all time, if you take the average of it. They're really good at finding creative playmaking, flanks, and stuff like that. Nico as a champion just allows you too much ability to look for those kind of plays. I don't think he risked. Yeah, exactly. Them. Just that, in case Shahu returns like, magically to form on the, side, on the one just... pick that can really do that. Yeah. When you're on blue side, like Faker can like first pick it. Yeah, but yeah, I, think, I think if you're prepared to, but you do the Oriana over. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it no, but doesn't... they can uh, they can then ban Ori because they've dropped the ban. They don't have to ban Rakan. You see what I mean? Like anything that like oh you pick X into it to like, be good T1 because they've now gained two bans. Like can like yeah. they do it. like a faker could play like a zero and Oriole game. I'm just highlighting the fact that like there's now so much space in terms of like I can see Xiaohu playing as many games of Nico as he wants and it not affecting the series. Mm. If you told me T one were going to play against GDG and leave Nico up against Knight the whole series, I'd be like, God fucking someone send them like Aegis armor, like someone to save these men's souls. Like you know what I mean? It's like it's how you like view like I mean uh, I agree with I agree with what you're saying, but I will also agree with Nymera, which is given that I just don't given that they're so favoured in so many areas, I just don't ever let them play Nico. It just seems like dumb. Yeah, like they could ban yeah, the... they could ban. They could ban it when Weibo have got access to like first pick. But you know I mean? think like... that like the Poppy, for example, to me, like owner is actually the best Poppy player in the world. So I feel like that that there. that pick yeah. is more likely. To... Yeah, but like the difference is, is like like owner's like the best Poppy in the world. There's been like great on like stuff. Mm -hmm. Weibo might he's not maybe the best Poppy in the world, but like for Weibo, 
once he's not on Poppy, his like best picks are stuff like Lilia, which we've barely seen this year. Oh, his and, role's pretty good. And, well, yeah, his role, well, it's hit and miss. But yeah, okay, his but role like, on a good day is really good. Yeah. So that, that's what I'm like. I'm I'm just talking about like what I know of like um, of like, wait wait like so I'm like I'm not all that convinced. Botland's I actually just think this will be like scorched earth. The only thing that can fuck T1 is if Zeus like chokes out and has like an absolute screamer. And just creates like mm. black hole advantages and like top lane that the shy would just like push over and over again. But I don't expect it. Like I'm not someone that like when you've got a people person who has like a choker or has a choking narrative around them. That's why I like consistently always pick Zeus, Chove, Larson, like mm. Knight when that was the narrative. Um, you know what I mean? I'll literally pick these players until the cows come home. I don't care. I genuinely don't care because everything else that they do in life informs me that they'll be get good yeah. so i don't think you know what i mean you, you move the bar like so far for them um, um you, you have to set up the possibility for who is a big game player who isn't a big game player Weber has a lot of big game players if you yeah, look at shao who the shy and crisp particularly those three um whereas you look at t1 typically they haven't been in this recent iteration even faker has kind of lost that kind of glimmer of mm. always being the clutch player in international you know they're never better bad against Gamer's their best era. big game player yeah. Uh, he is now, yeah. So there is an angle with that. But then even with that, I I don't see the strategic advantage yeah, which exactly. Weibo can have over them given what T1 have shown. So it's going to be a hard slim win condition. I think it has to come through some early game fuck-ups in T1, early game miracles from Weibo. If they have really good level 1 prep and Weibo is on the right page with the rest of his lanes, there's a chance. I think it's a slim chance. Like Just for an example, the the um, bot lane, Light, Light has the same champion pool problem that uh, Ruler has, where, and it's not a big problem by the way, guys, I'm not having that, is that he can't play Draven. He's not a dedicated Draven player, and so you can't like turn to that to get like free winning bot lanes, okay? The other like problem that he has is like, it's not that Light is bad at Callista, he's like fine at Callista, he is just not one of like, the great, like, Callista-like players. Right? He's not as good at Callista as, like, Rular and Gumar. Um, he's good at, like, other things. But what is... I, what, I don't know what... Like, when I watched the series, what, what, what Ruler was doing in lane to, like, win was, like, pretty impressive. I was like, that's, like, good. Do I think Light is going to be able to find, like, the picks and those, like, play patterns? To me, the person who's going to salvage probably the most in bot lane is, like, Crisp. But the problem is, is Crisp's up against Korea, who, if, like, T1 want to set it up, almost always will be able to find some variety of, like, good matchup. So also, if Carrier plays like he did last final, last last World's Finals, oh my god, it is over. Carrier was incredible last finals. So if he even, if he gets anywhere close to that, Crisp is going to struggle, I think. So. The, the only thing, they, in my opinion, they, like, kind of need to watch out for is like consistently getting like aphelios lanes are like not that actually like bad i if think aphelios milio is their x factor if it if they can make it work if they give if they give light a bunch of aphelios games or like they like in, in like a disrespectful way um and like t1 like for whatever reason have an identity crisis the same way blg did like it's not outside the realms of possibility i'm not saying it's probable i'm just trying to give you the angle in which we will win like is amazing at Aphelios. He's one of the best Aphelios players in the world. Does, even at that, I don't know if that gets you five games. Is it three games, you know what I mean? Out of five. Um, or like three games out of four or three zero. I just don't think it does. Um, if Aphelios is good, I'm not sure it's that good. So what is your prediction then, Kira? Are you three zero? I think it should really be three zero. 
but just for the nature of like finals and in terms of pressure of execution, I think it'd be much safer to go three one. But I actually expect like T one to scorch after these motherfuckers. Mm. Like I, I don't think I don't think it should it should really even be that close. Like I don't even think Weibo's level ones are even that great, and GDG's like. It caused absolute chaos for them, and GDG had like some okay adaptations to yeah. it. I don't know what Weibo's going to do. What do you think, Nymera? Give me your. I, I'm going to say three one. Weibo have just this crazy miracle ability to flip games and have some incredible early game plays, which somehow they snowball to a victory. Uh, so I think T1 ha they have very volatile early games themselves. I think there'll be one early game flip which works out well enough in Weibo's advantage. They might even get two early game flips, but capitalizing on both I don't think is going to happen. I'm going to say 3-1-T-1. I'm going to go for a very specific prediction, which is that T1 will be 2-0 up. Weibo will take it to 2-2, but T1 will win 3-2. So I'm going to go 3-2. And kind of along with the lines of what Kira is saying, which is I just feel that, especially because of what happened last year where... It was kind of the, well, no, sort of the same situation where they were so heavily favoured over DRX and the players themselves have spoken about that and how that affected them negatively, essentially. And now they're revisiting that exact scenario again. I think that there will be some repeat chokage, if you like, but I think they will still pull through and get themselves together um, by the end. But I just think that 2-0 cushion, if you like, I think that's kind of a dangerous place to be when you are the heavy favourite. Um, so yeah, I'm going to say 3-2-T1. Um, but yeah, we're going to leave it there, guys. One, one oh. question, just not going in, just uh, my patented, at this point, last question for the show. Who's your world's MVP going into like, finals? Who's in the race? See, this is the thing. So usually, I thought about asking this and I didn't, just because okay. I hate giving out MVPs like before... <laughs> I've seen who's like in yeah, your I know, mind's yeah. eye. Yeah. I mean, I guess. I think it's Guma or Kiria. Yeah, I Guma guess Kiria. Kiria. I think, I think, I think, I think Guma Kerry and whoever has a better finals performance. Is there, is there anyone? Or, I could be convinced I, for, of for, for this, though. I think mm, for, yeah, if Weber yeah. were, were to win, it would have to be Lights. He's like the only consistent yeah, part like, of that team. It's either Weiwei pops off and like saves the team in like final yeah. somehow, and he's just the, the magic man for a day, or it's Light because he's just yeah, found the level of consistency that's unbelievable. I think Zeus, if he like manhandles his counterpicks, but on the whole, I think he has to make up ground to bot lane of T1 who have done so much work. Because the meta for T1 that they have crafted for the last half of this tournament has entirely been through bot lane or... innovation. So I, I think I think it has to be Guma Kerry. Yeah, no, I think that the reason why I'd give it to Kyria is because and this is a bit, you know, positional bias, I suppose, but I just feel that the reason T1 can do what they do is because of Kyria's yeah. champion pool. Whereas it would also Guma's... kind of be a crowning achievement for his last few so years. So we've come full circle. Yeah. Kyria started the world yeah, exactly. this year, the best player in the world. How can a support be the best player in the world? And well, all, roads, <laughs> all roads lead to Faker. Yeah. But some side paths go to yeah, Kyria. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. The uh, new new bypass uh, highway is in fact Kyria. But uh, yeah, no, I think that um, the, the thing with Guma is He's been the best performing AD carry, I think it's fair to say. And if he has like a good finals, like doing yeah, his job. Execution but, of winning matchups has been yeah, And this sounds a bit harsh, but it's like he is just playing AD carry really well. <laughs> <laughs> like Isn't that what Willow was doing? <laughs> yeah, but it's like Yeah, true. But 
Hey, it's like, <laughs> but okay, here's the analogy though. It's like if let's say if Prime Reckless is playing really well, right? He's just playing really well. He's playing his picks, whatever. Okay, cool. Yeah, it hits different, right? If it's Perks playing AD Carry and he's playing <laughs> shit like Zaya and legit AD Carries, he's also playing shit like Cinder and popping off. You know, it's like he is going out of the box to enable his team to reach a different level. And I think you have to give points for that. And Kyria can literally play some AD champs as well as some really good AD carry players as a support. And you have to give him extra credit for that. So even if he max, even if Guma maxes out at 10 out of 10, Kyria has access to 11 out of 10 because he's just not even really playing support at that point. So yeah, but okay. we'll, we'll obviously see what happens. Um, and yeah, I'm go I'm going three two, and Elon I'm gonna fighting. fighting. I'm gonna clip my perfect prediction and post it just before finals as well, because that's way more badass than posting it immediately after. Because that is that is gonna be exactly what happens. Two zero, two all, and then but oh, it's gonna be a absolute like demolition, like level one disaster. By the way, for Weibo in game five. That's, oh my god! Isn't this, just the 20, isn't this just the 2016 uh, World but, uh, Finals SKT Samsung? <laughs> no, it is a completely unique. Uh, right? New... How it? Are you trying to be right? Mo monkeys on typewriters. Monkeys but, on mate, typewriters. No, if this come, if this one comes off, it's up there with the mad take. So there we go. Okay. Which I, which I now have to hold on to with both hands because I've had so many terrible takes between then and now. So it is what it is. Anyway, uh, thank you guys all for watching. And I don't know if we'll do a show after Worlds. I mean, at some point after Worlds, but I don't know if there'll be enough to talk about other than my amazing prediction, which could probably just be done and summarized by a bragging tweet. So yeah, we'll see. Anyway, thank you all for watching and see you next time.